to Rafi's Roundup. I'm, of course, your host, Rafi. And on this show, I talk about whatever I want to talk about today. A <laughs> um, couple things to talk about. A lot's happened since uh, last week. Um, we're going to start by talking a little bit about Sam and Bucky. Um, not too much. Uh, after that, we have a trailer for James Gunn's Suicide Squad. I'm not going to be breaking that down or anything. Um, I'm very excited for it. But what I'm going to do is kind of go through the cast um, and kind of talk about their odds. Uh, <laughs> it, I think James Gunn understands, just based on how big the cast is, um, there's like 17 characters. <laughs> um, who, like, people die in the Suicide Squad. So I kind of want to go through the cast and just give my like off-the-top-of-my-head predictions on whether or not these characters are going to die or when they're going to die or if they survive the movie. Uh, and then following that, we're going to be continuing my DC Comics relaunch. Um, if you were here last week, I'm basically doing a hypothetical relaunch for DC Comics, um, putting everything back at number one. I'm not rebooting the universe. Um, last week I did, let's see, what did I do? I did nine? Yeah, I did nine of the ongoing titles. Um, all of them have, like, their own sort of pitch, all of them have a, a writer that, you know, I think would really fit the book. Um, today I'm planning on only doing the other four ongoing books, because uh, they are team books, and I figure the, we're already sort of front-loaded here with the Sam and Bucky stuff and the Suicide Squad stuff, so, and I already know that I ramble a lot when it comes to pitching a comic book, so, uh, yeah, we got, like, four team books that we're going to talk about. And then next week, uh, we'll try to get it done in one, but uh, there's ten, like, limited, like, mini-series that I would also pitch uh, to go alongside the ongoing DC books. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I have my coffee here, I just did the dishes, um, week's been pretty good, <laughs> uh, no, no complaints, we're getting closer to the, having the wedding, <laughs> We're getting closer to, uh, I mean, the weather's been a lot nicer, which I appreciate. There hasn't been snow in a while. Um, it's been a little windy, but, like, I'll take wind over rain or snow any day. Uh, I'm also currently working on, so the, the audio version of the most recent Digimon podcast that me and the guys did is up. I'm very happy with it. Uh, I'm currently working on the well, I mean, not currently, because currently I'm talking to you guys. Currently, I'm working on the actual video version for, for YouTube. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's weird. Um, I don't know if anyone else gets like this, if anyone's ever tried to edit, like, a YouTube video or whatever. I never liked video editing, um, despite the fact that in, in high school I went to a, a video production class. I never liked video editing. Um... But now that I do it in real life, and I'm doing it on stuff that I've worked on, it's a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, I do find the actual video, like, image portion, because I don't record them as videos. I record them as podcasts, and then I layer video over them. I find that part uh, not as exciting, because editing audio is a little bit easier. I can kind of decide, like, oh, this bit's not that funny, or oh, this bit might go a little too far, I'm going to cut this out, save some time. But... With the video portion, it's a lot of, like, Google imaging 
it's a lot of going to like the page app on my computer and putting an image together that specifically shows what's happening. Um, I will say probably my favorite part of doing the video portion of this Digimon podcast is that for the battle scenes, I used to literally just take sprites or little images of my friends and their Digimon and arrange them on like a battlefield to show you where everyone was. <coughs> I'm not really doing that this time. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm all... Ugh, that. <laughs> In my defense, I woke up um, an hour and 45 minutes ago. Um, but yeah, I used to, like, you know, sort of pieces on a, on a game board. Um, this time around, all of the battle scenes are going to be based on, uh, like, actual battle screens from video games. So, one of the battle screens looks like Earthbound, one of the battle screens looks like Fire Emblem. Um, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't get a Pokemon one in there, but that's only because it didn't really fit with, like, the large, because, like, it's not, like, one-on-one -on -one with a lot of these fights, so it didn't really work. But, um, I'm pretty excited to put that out. Um, I'm really excited for the last f uh, fight scene. Uh, I haven't even showed the guys the last fight scene yet, but... It's sort of styled like a classic Final Fantasy battle, and I think it came out to look really nice. So, I'll be working on that today. I got a couple things I gotta do today. What else do I gotta do? Hold on, let me, let me grab my... This helps a lot when I have days off, because it feels like I'm... I don't know. I like having my day off, but at the same time, I like to keep myself busy. Um, but I wrote myself a little to-do list. I did the dishes, so I crossed that out. I do want to go to the grocery store to pick up a couple things. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've talked about this, but I've actually started a fanfiction.net um, account, and I've been writing some, some Digimon stuff on there, and that's kind of nice. Um, I mainly based it on like some of the... Oh, shoot, I dropped my notes. <sighs> I mainly based it off a couple of the new Digimon products that have been coming out. I wonder in the audio portion of this if you can hear the fact that I just went under my computer desk. So yeah, I gotta write, I gotta do the podcast, when am I gonna do that? Oh, I'm doing that right now. Uh, and then I gotta edit the video. You know, I'm gonna go blow my nose. Okay, enough stalling, we got some stuff to talk about. Um, starting with Sam and Bucky, episode two. Uh, again, I won't talk too much about this. I really appreciate the show kind of talking about stuff that Marvel hasn't talked about before. There's, like, there's, like, systemic racism. <laughs> you know, there's, um, scenes where it's definitely motivated by the fact that the one of the lead characters is African-American. There's a lot of, hmm. I guess the most recent episode, I really, I really like the fact that it sort of juggles the new stuff and the old stuff. I don't know, it's hard to explain. The new, the newest episode tells you a lot about um, being an African-American superhero, being an African-American super soldier, and how sort of American history has affected black people. Um, but it also it also shows you a lot about the, the new Captain America, John Walker. You learn a bit about him. And, uh, I don't know, he looked... Like, I think like most people that know about this character, I went into this thinking he was going to be sort of the, uh, 
right-wing version of Cap, and uh, I don't really get that depiction from him. Um, he, he definitely comes off as sort of a government stooge who has very big boots to fill. Um, what else can I say about this? <laughs> I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but um, I don't know. I, I, I like John Walker's character. I, I'm interested, um, I guess I'm interested to see, because it already looks like he's on a tightrope in terms of like how much he can take. Like it definitely seems like the show is going to, by the end, put him in a place where he's sort of broken some rules, not broken some rules against the government, but like crossed lines that Cap wouldn't cross. Um, I don't know. I think the point of him comes across pretty well. He's, he's everything that Steve didn't want to be for the American government. And at the same time is that, again, you, you get, you won't get so much with Bucky, but Bucky has a lot of good moments in this uh, episode. Um, there's a really good joke about Gandalf, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and that, apparently in, uh, episode three, they're gonna be, uh, talking to Zemo, so we get to introduce him into this, uh, this show, so that'd be a lot of fun, <laughs> but yeah, Sam Bucky, episode two, really good, again, I feel like maybe around episode three, maybe four, I don't know, I know it's only six episodes, which makes it a bit easier, so... I'm trying not to talk about it as much because I know it'll be over in a couple weeks, and when it does end, I I, I would probably do a, a full review of it. So, <clears throat> yeah, Save and Bucky. If you haven't checked it out, go watch it. It's a good show. Um, I think the show is doing justice because the show is doing justice to Steve Rogers. Um, I like it, you know, because <laughs> it's not like it's not up front like replacing him. Like, I appreciate that the show isn't starting with Sam Wilson just being the new Captain America. It really feels like we're building up Sam and we're building up Bucky to sort of take a new direction in uh, the MCU, and they're not rushing into it, which is really nice. Um, the The villains, the Flag Smashers, are almost like sympathetic in a way. So I'm wondering exactly if they're evil or if they're just part of something else, so, um, <clears throat> getting today's t uh, second topic, again, I'm really sorry if I'm coming across kind of, uh, weird this morning, I, I woke up a couple hours ago, um, I don't know why I was so, uh, stuffy earlier, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, if time has proven anything doing this podcast, uh, alone, as the podcast goes on, I'll become more awake, and it'll be easier for me to talk. So, look forward to that. <laughs> um, let's talk about Suicide Squad a little bit. Again, I'm not going to go over the trailer. There's a lot of stuff in the trailer I like, but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about these characters and if they're going to make it or not through the movie. Um, I'm using... When was this put up? Published August 23rd, 2020. Okay, so yeah, not too long ago. Um, this is a article on Screen Rant. Uh, the Suicide Squad, all 17 characters in the new Task Force X Explained. Um, I pulled this up so it was just sort of easy to go through the characters. Because like, I could have used the wiki page, I could have used IMDb. Um, but the way Screen Rant put the article up, it's images from the trailer with characters' names and also the actors' names. So that's helpful. Um, 
So yeah, let's start with Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie. <sighs> I think she's going to survive. I think... I don't know. <laughs> I, I think she's definitely going to survive the whole movie, because DC wants to keep using this character. Um, I definitely think that she's going to be maybe a fake-out death towards the end. Like, you're going to think that she died, um, and then she's going to show up and explain that she snuck away or something. Um, or her dying towards the end of the movie... Um, is, like, built up. Like, like she's, like, about to flatline and someone saves her. Um, but I don't think they're going to kill her off. I think they're going to come close to doing it because, you know, from James Gunn's perspective, he probably knows this character is sort of the face of Suicide Squad now. Um, so it would be crazy to kill her off, but, hey, you know, that's why. That's, like, all the reason you need to kill her off. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't think... Harley Quinn's gonna die again. She might. She'll probably come close. Uh, Bloodsport, played by Idris Elba, definitely a standout character in um, the trailer. Uh, I think he'll die towards the end. I think he'll have some sort of, you know, heroic sacrifice. Maybe not a sacrifice, but he'll go out like guns blazing at the end. Um, I, I am wondering if he's going to. Okay, it's saying. Hmm. Okay, it is saying in his character description that he did shoot Superman once the Kryptonite bullet. Because in the, in the comics, uh, Bloodsport is a Superman villain. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to survive. <laughs> He'll definitely make it through most of the movie. Because it's Idris Elba, um, and he has a, a pretty standout moments in the trailer. So I think he'll die towards the end of the movie. I don't think he'll make it out. Um, but yeah, let's see who's next. Uh, oh my gosh, okay. John Cena, who's playing Peacemaker, like, he's getting, he's getting a lot of traction, we'll say that first of all. The thing about Peacemaker in the Suicide Squad movie is that before the movie comes out, there's supposed to be a Peacemaker, like, mini-series on HBO Max that ties into the Suicide Squad movie, like, it's gonna have John Cena, it's gonna be live action, all that stuff, um, so, yeah, like, he's one of the few characters that got a little, like, build-up before the movie's coming out, I, I don't think he'll, mm, it's tough, I think maybe, okay, I think Peacemaker will be another fake-out death, I think towards the end, or maybe even the middle, they'll tease the idea of Peacemaker dying, and I can totally see a scene where his helmet bounces out of, like, a huge smoke cloud, and everyone's like, oh, no, he's dead, and then he just walks out of the smoke and picks up the helmet. Like, I think that'll be his thing. Um, I think the guy has too much build-up to actually die. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's, uh, I don't think, I don't think John Cena's gonna die. He might turn invisible, but he's not gonna die. Um, okay, Rick Flagg, who's played by Joel Kinnaman, he's sort of, like, the actual, like, uh, leader, I guess, of the Suicide Squad. He's one of the few characters on the Suicide Squad that kind of originates from the team. Um, and he is just sort of generic, you know, leader type. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's no reason to keep him alive other than him being sort of the second in command to Amanda Waller. And he's in charge of the team most of the time. So, I don't know. I think I think they will kill him off, though. Maybe towards the end, he'll be the one that has a, a heroic sacrifice. I don't even know if he has a bomb in his head, actually. He might just be killed in battle. Um, 
Which might be, like... I mean, again, he, he is, like, the Suicide Squad character. But at the same time, I could see a version of this where he dies towards the end and that sort of... Not... Maybe inspire? I don't know. That sort of motivates the team to work together in honor of him. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna say no. I don't think Rick Flagg's gonna die. Again, he might come close. Um, maybe the other members of the squad get mad when they realize he doesn't have a bomb in his head. I don't know if he has a bomb in his head. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I don't think Rick Flagg's gonna die. He's kind of... He, he's one of the the selling points, I think. Even though people don't, aren't, even though people, no one, no one's ever like, oh, Rick Flag is my favorite character. Uh, Captain Boomerang by Jai Courtney coming back, much like a boomerang, he has returned for this movie. Um, he was in the last one. He he was one of the bigger characters in the last one. Uh, hmm. He might die. <laughs> I think he would be one of the. Because he's one of the only characters that came back from the first movie. Like, it's him, Rick Flagg, and Harley Quinn. I feel like, of all three of them, Captain Boomerang is the most likely to die. They're not going to use him for a Flash movie. Um, I don't even... Like, even if they did another Suicide Squad... Because Captain Boomerang does have a kid in the comics. So, like, if they did another Suicide Squad and they wanted another Captain Boomerang, they could just use his kid. Um... But I think that would be kind of a funny, like, a funny, like, uh, like, dark comedy kind of joke to see him throw a boomerang out, and then he's killed off before the boomerang can make it back into his hand or something. That'd be kind of neat. Plus then, like, if Captain Boomerang dies, assumedly his allies would take the rest of the boomerangs and just use them. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Captain Boomerang's gonna die. <laughs> I think he's gonna have a hilarious death. Um, yeah, he might even be the first to die, because in the, in the first movie, what is it, he basically talks that guy Slipknot into trying to escape, and then the guy does, and then Captain Boomerang's like, well, I guess I'll stay around, so, I don't know, I, I think, I think, uh, Captain Boomerang's gonna die. The Thinker, who's played by Peter Capaldi, one of the doctors, uh, I think he'll die. <laughs> I don't like his head, he's got a bunch of, like, nodes coming out of his head, he's... Another Flash villain. In one of the promotional posters, it kind of looks like he has a, connect a connection to Starro, who's the main villain of the movie, it looks like, because they have that giant Starro starfish monster coming out. Um, I, th I think he's going to die, and I also think that his death is going to be connected to Starro in some way. Like, maybe by killing him, they kill off Starro through some sort of telepathy thing. Or maybe he's going to be, like, the enchantress of this movie, and use Starro to try and attack the rest of the squad. Um, in fact, like, if his whole thing is being really smart, he might just be able to undo his, like, bomb in his head and betray the team. Like, he's too smart to keep alive, and I feel like he's too smart to stay on the side of the hero or heroes. Stay on the side of the Suicide Squad characters. So, yeah, I think the Thinker's gonna die, and I think his death is gonna be sort of important. I don't want to say important, but, like, it's going to matter in the movie. Like, I think, I don't think his, his uh, I think he's going to be one of the people that switches sides, basically. Uh, let's see. Soul Soria, played by Alice Braga. Um, I think she'll die. I don't, I don't know who she is as a character. 
character who gave himself the ability to unlock any object he touches. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, just kind of like a, 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 what is that? Safe cracker kind of character. She's probably gonna die. She seems a very down-to-earth, kind of generic character. Um, but I think people expect her to die, so she's probably not gonna die until, like, really late in the movies. In the movie. Um, Pete Davidson playing Blackguard. I heard he's sort of just, like, a cameo type of character. He's another Firestorm villain. <sighs> oh, this this actor's on SNL. I know I recognize him from somewhere. Um, yeah, he's gonna die early. <laughs> There's nothing about this character that is sort of interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but he, he's done. He's done so. Pokenaut Man, <laughs> who's played by David Dasmalshian. I think he'll make it. In in the trailer, he seems to want to die. So maybe he'll have like a heroic death towards the end or something. Uh, but I think he'll survive the whole movie. Because he just seems like a very... For one thing, he wants to die. So it would be funny if he didn't. Um, and also, he just has a weird character. And, I, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how his powers are going to work in this movie. So Polka Dot Man will live. Uh, Savant, who's played by Michael Rooker. He's going to die. <laughs> He's probably going to die early. They seem to make a big deal about him towards the beginning of the trailer. He's the one that gets the bomb installed in his head. He might be the first one to die just based on the fact that, like, you see him getting the bomb installed. Um, also, like, I don't know. I can't see him doing a lot. He's just not a really out, like, pop-out character. So, I'm going to say Savant is going to die. Uh, Mongal, who's played by Mei Ling NG. <laughs> She's like an alien. She's like a, a sister to like a really... I'm oh sorry, she's the daughter of uh, Mongol, who's like a really big Superman villain. It's kind of weird that she, she, is, she... First of all, she looks like Starfire, but like with a skin condition. Second of all, it's weird that Amanda Waller managed to get this alien on her team. Um, I don't know, man. I think... I think she'll be another early death, and I think her death is going to be kind of on the nose, because she's like an alien, she's like a warrior woman, I feel like she's going to go into something not expecting to die, um, and once she's dead, everyone's going to be like, oh shit, the strong alien character is dead, what do we, what do we do now, um, so yeah, I think Mongal's going, going, uh, to die there, TDK, who's played by Nathan Fillion, we still don't know, okay, alright, so, we, we still don't know who, TDK, I don't know, the, the screen rant description is saying it's thought to be short for the, 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 the detachable kid, which is another name for Arm Fall Off Boy, which is, Arm Fall Off Boy is a, cla is like a classic joke character you see, like, on all these, like, worst DC character polls, um, who, he tried to apply for the Legion of Superheroes and was rejected, um, we still haven't seen this character in the trailers or anything, I'm really wondering if his thing is actually, like, detaching his arms, um, he'll probably die early, like, I know it's Nathan Fillion, but that feels more like a cameo sort of thing, I feel like he'll get one really good fight scene where he detaches his arms or whatever, because <laughs> that's what he does, um, the fact that he's in the movie at all is kind of like, like, arm fall off boy being in this at all is kind of like, oh, you just want to tell a joke, don't you, so yeah, TDK is going to die. Ratcatcher 2, who's played by Daniela Melchior. I think she'll make it, actually. 
Ratcatcher is kind of a weird character. She can control and communicate with rats. Um, I think she'll be one of the like obscure weird ones that makes it towards the end. Um, she had kind of a back and forth with uh, Bloodsport in the trailer, so I feel like she'll make it. Bloodsport will will die. Um, who's left? Who's left? Oh, she's right. Yeah, a few more. We got a few more. Uh, King Shark, who we know now is voiced by uh, Sylvester Stallone. I don't know if he'll die. Uh, I don't want him to die. He's so he looks so good in this movie. Um, I don't think he's gonna die. I, uh, I don't know. Because I really like him as a character, but again, it's like he's voiced by Stallone, and James Gunn is probably banking off the fact that people are gonna like him as a character. Um, he has some of those violent scenes in the trailer, so I don't know. I mean, if they kill him off, they can always replace him in a future movie with another sort of monstrous character. Um, but I think just based on how much traction the character is getting, maybe they won't kill him off. Um, so King Shark, I'm actually going to say maybe. Maybe they'll kill him, maybe they won't. I'm, I'm undecided. Um, okay, we've got like, just two more. Two more. Um, we got Javelin, who's played by Fula Borge. Um, his whole thing is that he has javelins. Um... Apparently he's a Green Lantern villain. <laughs> I'm going to say Javelin's going to die. Because there's even a scene in the trailer where it looks like Harley Quinn has a Javelin. So, I'm going to say he's going to die pretty early. Um, and then the last character is Weasel, who's played by Sean Gunn. Um, he's, an, he's a human weasel man. Uh, I don't know who he was the villain of in the comics. I feel like Weasel's gonna survive, but he'll get away. Like, I feel like Weasel's just such a weird-looking character. I don't even know if he talks. I feel like Weasel will have a, like, not a big scene, but he'll have a, a purpose to serve in the movie. And you think he dies, but then you just saw that he got away or something. Like, maybe the thinker wants to undo his bomb chip, but he doesn't know if it'll work, so he experimented on Weasel first. Um... I think Weasel's going to survive just based on the fact that he's so, like, weird-looking. <laughs> so, in short, Harley Quinn will survive. Uh, Bloodsport will die towards the end. Peacemaker will survive. Uh, Rick Flag will survive. Captain Boomerang will die. The Thinker will die. Uh, Soul Soria will die. Blackguard will die. Pokemon Man will live. Savant will die. Uh, Mongal will die. TDK will die, Ratcatcher 2 will survive, uh, King Shark is a maybe, Weasel will survive, and Javelin will die. So, I guess don't get too attached. So, last but not least, we're going to talk about some comic book pitches here. Um, again, I went over some solo series last week. Today we have four team books that are also ongoings. Um, again, I feel like I don't need to re-explain a lot of things, but... Basically, this sort of marching order for my hypothetical DC Comics relaunch is that villains have spread out and become more organized. Um, <sighs> a couple other factors in this universe. Uh, Batman's family is spread out throughout the country. The Flash is having to share the Speed Force with the rest of his uh, family members. Um, the Green Lantern Corps is working a bit more around the clock. Aquaman's more invested in Atlantis and how it's moving forward. 
Nightwing is sort of becoming a school counselor. Um, Harley Quinn is moving towards a heroic role. And Wonder Woman is a superhero and also an ambassador. Oh, also Superman is sharing the role of Superman with his son. So, a couple things from uh, the last uh, bit. I guess <laughs> that's like the shortened version of what I was doing the whole time. So, yeah, let's just, let's just jump right in. Starting with uh, Justice League, right? Flagship title. Big superhero team. The name of the opening arc is going to be called Fresh Talent. Um, and I want Justice League to be written by Tom Taylor. Um, he's terrific. He's written the Deceased books. He's written the Injustice comics. He wrote... Um, oh, what's the other one he wrote? He wrote, like, the, the Power Rangers Justice League crossover. <laughs> um, he's great. Tom Taylor is great. What else did he write recently? Oh, I think he's on the Nightwing book right now, which is, which is awesome. Love that. Um, he's done a lot of books about the DC Universe, but he hasn't done Justice League, and I feel like he knows so much about the characters and how their world operates. It would only make sense to give it to him, um, or at least pass it off to him. But, uh, yeah, the book is just called Justice League. Straight and simple. In terms of, like, a roster and the story, um... It's always been my headcanon that if you're on a Justice League, you're sort of a member for life, unless they kick you off. So, like, for an example, um, Aquaman isn't on my Justice League team, but, you know, when push comes to shove and the Justice League needs help, he'll show up as a member of the Justice League. It's kind of like Justice League Unlimited in that in that aspect. But, um, yeah, so there there is sort of a main operations Justice League team in this book. But again, when things when this is when the situation is big enough, other Justice League members will show up to help. So I have the team here cuz it's going to need some explaining. Uh first of all, the the trinity of characters, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Um and this would sort of help them along with their story arcs. Superman is obviously sharing his role of Superman with his son, John Kent. Um, so this would be a way for Superman to give John some space, let John do some Superman stuff, while Clark is on the Justice League and is sort of reminded that he still has a place in this world, um, and he still has a role to play, I guess. Um, it's just somewhere for Clark to go when John is doing sort of mainline Superman stuff. Anytime in the Superman book where Clark isn't around, you can say, oh, he was off with the Justice League doing this or that, right? Batman, uh, similar deal. You know, Gotham's crime has sort of relapsed back into more traditional criminals, some more underground, like, obscure criminals. Plus, I imagine he might have one other, like, Batman ally in Gotham to pick up the slack when Batman's busy. Um, maybe someone who isn't, like, a full-time superhero, like Bluebird or something. Um, and this is also to help, because Batman, Alfred's dead. <laughs> he's, he's told all of his sidekicks to go throughout America and, and fight crime, because his criminals have gone through America fight and, and committing crimes. So, um, Batman's very lonely in Gotham once again, and being on the Justice League and being available for that, again, it gives him a place to go, it gives him some sense of normalcy. And then Wonder Woman, uh, again, she's still being Diana the superhero. Uh, we've sort of put her back where she kind of started. Because right now she's like the Spectre or some shit. She's fighting in, in Valhalla and stuff. Um, just kind of setting her back. 
um, you know, when she's not doing that, like, the, what I like is that in my picture, Wonder Woman, I made her an ambassador to Amazonia, um, and I like the idea that while she's on the Justice League, she's representing the Justice League, um, the UN, and, um, and Themyscira, and the Amazonians, so, she's sort of on the team as, like, she's almost the face of the team now, you know, she's kind of the one doing the public speaking, and shaking hands with governors and stuff, so, that's Wonder Woman's point on this. So, when these three get together and they're like, alright, <laughs> we need to put together a Justice League to tackle specific problems, make more direct influence in our communities, and tackle organized crime, stuff like that, you know? I don't want to start the book with a giant monster attacking us. I mean, that, that'll definitely happen, but, um, you know, it needs to be a mix of sort of street-level stuff, super-powered stuff, and I think the Justice League would benefit from putting together a team of people who who they would call, like, the, the, these are some fresh members of the Justice League. These are the characters who, as they grow older and become adults, um, or, you know, get older, they'll sort of fill our shoes. You know, because we all have, they all have, like, their legacy characters. They all have, like, Superboy and, and Nightwing and Donna Troy and stuff. But what the Justice League is doing here is you know, in, like, inviting in new characters to be part of the Justice League, um, just so there's more members, and so that they can also progress in their superhero careers, a lot of it is just sort of future-proofing, to be like, when we're gone, there will be heroes who take our place, and we're gonna, we're gonna start that process now by having them on the Justice League, and these will be characters that the Trinity will put on missions and be like, you guys go do this, um, if you need backup, Superman's available today, or Wonder Woman is available today, or Batman will be going with you. Um, you know, stuff like that. Make it more of an organized team, sort of similar to how, like, Young Justice did it in the TV show. So, again, we have the Trinity. And then, in DC Rebirth, there was, um, actually, I think it was post-DC Rebirth, but there was, a, there was a Titans run where the idea was that Nightwing and his team were acting as sort of like a secondary Justice League. Like they were working at behest of the Justice League and they were given missions by them. And the idea for my Justice League book is that Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, they're looking at that Titans team and being like, okay, we all get to pick one member from that team to bring onto this new Justice League. Like, I'm not calling it a task force, but it's basically a task force. Um, so everyone's kind of choosing a member of the team. So Superman chooses uh, Natasha Irons, who is a character called Steel. Um, she is the niece of the original Steel, John Henry Irons. He's the guy in sort of the Iron Man suit that replaces Superman after he died. Um, and again, <clears throat> she's similar to that character. She has a, an Iron Man suit, basically. She has this big hammer. Um, she's got a lot of technology in the suit. And she is calling herself Steel. And she was on that Titans team. So, Superman chooses her. <coughs> Again, because she knows Natasha's uncle. And, you know, she's sort of he's sort of watched Natasha grow up throughout the years. It's almost like she's sort of like an unofficial member of the Superman family. But also is official enough that Superman like holds her at high regard. Um... 
Let's see, let's see, let's see. Who else, who else? Uh, Raven is on this team from the Teen Titans. Um, again, she was on that Titans team. In my head canon, she's, like, in her late teens. Um, she's a magical character, which this team kind of needs. And she would be chosen by Wonder Woman. Uh, for one thing, Raven is a character that doesn't have a lot of confidence in herself. And Wonder Woman is a character who who generates positivity and is very much a, hey, you're a young woman with a lot of potential, and you can do a lot of good for the world, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you realize your true potential. And I think Raven could really benefit from being around someone like Wonder Woman. Um, and I think that'd be a nice dynamic to show them working together, especially because Wonder Woman had that whole stint where she was on the Justice League Dark, and she interacted with the paranormal. So to pair her up with Raven would make a lot of sense. Um, and then thirdly, Batman's chosen candidate from the Teen Titans, or the Titans as it were, um, is going to be Beast Boy. Again, another another popular character choice. I kind of wanted this team to have some standout popular characters that people really like. Um, that way, if you're not super into the Justice League, you can at least be like, oh, Raven and Beast Boy are in this book. I really like those characters. I'm going to pick up this Justice League book. Um, Beast Boy has a very unique power, the fact that he can shapeshift into any animal. That's really something you, you haven't seen on the Justice League before. Um, he's on the team. Batman's the one that chose him, kind of. <laughs> on the front, Like the, the joke of the book would be, Beast Boy has this exuberance of confidence because he knows that Batman chose him to be on the team, and so he feels awesome about that. And he's so happy to be on the Justice League, and he's really looking forward to like being a member of the team and proving his worth, and he's like the go-getter optimist character. Um, and the, the secret of the book, and something you kind of reveal over time, is that Batman didn't originally choose Beast Boy. Um, Batman wanted to choose Nightwing. But Nightwing turned it down because he had he wanted to pick up his own storyline, um, you know, do his own thing over here. He didn't want to be in the Justice League. You know, that's all it is. So then Batman's like, okay, um, then I'll pick Donna Troy. She didn't want to do it. I'll pick Miss Martian. Didn't want to do it. <laughs> so re basically, Beast Boy is on the team because everyone Batman wanted to choose uh, didn't want to do it. So Beast Boy was sort of a you know, um, what's the word, um, like, process of elimination, basically, and, you know, at first, in the team, you can present that as Beast Boy feeling really betrayed and really down about himself, but by working with Batman, like, Batman's worked with a lot of teenage characters before, so I feel like, over time, Beast Boy would go from being, you know, really let down about that, like, oh, you chose me because you had to, because I was the only one left that, that really, like, crushes him, and over time, Batman sort of warms up to Beast Boy, and the two of them get along a little bit. Like, I like the idea that Beast Boy is one of the few characters who can make Batman laugh a little bit, you know? Um, plus, you know, Beast Boy's worked with most of the Robins before, so I think they get along pretty well. And then, <clears throat> I mentioned this at the end of last week's podcast, but the, the seventh character would be Harley Quinn. And here's... Here's the explanation for this. So, like, in the opening arc of the of this Justice League run, it'd be tackling a threat. Um, I haven't <laughs> I haven't pinned down exactly who the opening villain is, but 
I don't know, maybe it's Starro, maybe it's Despero, um, some sort of like mind control kind of character. But I like the idea that in the opening arc of this Justice League story, um, they would sort of stumble into Harley Quinn. And it would be at a point in her solo book where Poison Ivy is, is like regrowing on Harley's arm. So Harley has like this cool kind of rose glove on her um, on her right hand. And it gives her some limited access to Poison Ivy's powers, you know, some vines, pollen, um, you know, some spores and stuff. Just, like, very surface-level plant powers. Enough that, like, added with her acrobatics and, uh, you know, enough that, like, she can be on the Justice League without needing a gun, you know? It'd be kind of cool if she could make, like, short, like, very small constructs out of, like, wood or out of, like, uh, like hardened leaves. Like, she could make a baseball bat or a hammer out of wood or something um, by manipulating the wood in the ground, like, making like turning a root, like, a, a string of roots into a baseball bat. You know, that'd be kind of cool. But she's going to be on the team sort of incidentally. Like, something about her having Poison Ivy on her arm um, gives her an X factor that helps the team with the problem that they're facing. Um, maybe Swamp Thing is out of control. Maybe there's a new plant-based villain. Um, or maybe they're facing a villain whose powers don't affect plants, and so they don't affect Harley Quinn. Um, something like that. And, and basically, by the end of that first arc, uh, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman would have like sort of a discussion about it, and... They would put Harley on the team as sort of a test because, again, in her own book, there would be more of a push for her becoming a straight-up superhero and sort of leaving a life of murder and crime in the past, sort of reinventing herself. Um, the other reason to put Harley Quinn on this team, like I said before, I want some, some, like, some popular characters on this Justice League team that people that aren't in the Justice League might pick up because, hey, Harley Quinn is in this book, and... She's never been in the Justice League. That's kind of interesting and cool. And it would just give uh, DC a chance to... Because Harley Quinn's the fourth pillar, right? Next to the Justice... Next to the, the, the Trinity, Harley Quinn is DC's, like, cash cow. She's one of their biggest se selling characters. So it makes a lot of sense to me to try and get her on the Justice League. And, you know, out of the Suicide Squad, out of sort of the blood and guts... I'm murdering people because it's funny kind of depiction of her, you know? Um, and I think it would help her strike out on her own and be her own character. Plus, to see Harley Quinn sort of bounce off the Trinity and also bounce off these younger characters would help kind of establish her place in the DC Universe. And, yeah, I just like seeing her interact with some of the more mainline DC characters. And I, I like the idea that, like, Superman and Wonder Woman are, like, Maybe Harley deserves a chance. Like, she's hurt a lot of people, but she's trying to pay her dues. And, you know, whatever happened to Poison Ivy, Harley took care of it. And, you know, clearly she's she has something that the, this Justice League Task Force might need. Because um, she's mature enough to be, you know, worldly and, and take a an adult standpoint on things. But she's also youthful and, um, what's the word? Sort of 
optimistic enough that she isn't clouded by cynicism. And I think that would be a, a she'd be a, a, a helpful voice on this Justice League team. And I think the only person on the team, because like Beast Boy and Raven, they're kind of like, all right, she's kind of weird, but okay. I think Batman and Steel would probably be very uh, skeptical. Um, Batman would probably trust her a little bit because he's worked with her a little bit, but I like I like the idea that Steel is because the other thing about Steel is that she's the only African American character on this team, and so you would get and and uh, what is it? She and her uncle grew up in sort of the slums of uh, of Metropolis, so you have a character on the team that has a very street level perspective on things and can sort of be almost the way Luke Cage was on the New Avengers back in the day, right? She's also, um, I think she's, I think she's lesbian. I know for a fact that she's lesbian. I was trying to decide if, if Steel was bisexual, but I think she's a straight-up lesbian. Um, and Harley Quinn, we know, is, is bisexual, and they've come out with that now. Um, you know, they've shown her kissing Poison Ivy and stuff. So, I think it'd be kind of cool if the one character on the team that's most skeptical of Harley Quinn, um is also someone who is in that, um, LGBT community, you know, um, LGBTQ, I don't know if they removed one or the other, I, I don't, I'm sorry, but, um, but yeah, so, the, the other thing too is that as the book would go on, you'd get some additions to this Justice League team, um, you know, eventually, you know, they, maybe they come across, like, some sort of alien problem, I like the idea that maybe, we use Blackfire. Like, I know I'm using a lot of, like, Teen Titans ideas, but people like Teen Titans a lot. And I don't think there's anything wrong with mixing the Teen Titans with the Justice League. I think that kind of makes sense. I think you get two groups of... Like, you get two fan bases in one book, basically. Um, so I like the idea of, like, maybe Blackfire shows up. Again, maybe it's an air, an alien like Despero or, or Starro or... <sighs> excuse me. Um, I don't know, Mongol or something. You, you get an alien-level threat. And in the process of fighting these aliens, um, this team meets up with Starfire. Because Starfire's been on a spin-off Justice League team, but she's never been on the main Justice League team. So eventually I would add her. Um, eventually I would add Cyborg, just to, again, sort of complete like the Teen Titans cast of characters. Cyborg, I think, would be interesting because, again, he's an African-American character with like tech-based powers. Um, I don't think he'd be a mainstay. He might even, like, he'd either be a mainstay or he would replace Steel. Not because it's a color thing, but it's because it's, you know, they both have similar powers. But, I mean, you know, it'd be cool to have him on the team and the two of them really work together. And it's almost like the play, it's like having one super genius with, with science powers is one thing. But having two of them would sort of boost what the Just League can do. Um... Plus, again, any opportunity to put Cyborg on the same team as Beast Boy. Um, <clears throat> so he'd come along, and then the the last addition... Because, again, the, the core team is seven characters. But you'd get some additions here and there. Maybe they'd stay around for a couple arcs. Um, is Poison Ivy. So, sort of... I, I'd kind of base this in sort of an event mentality, where, like, over the course of the Justice League book and the Harley and Ivy book, Harley's... Rose Glove would grow past her, um, her wrist, onto her elbow, and then up to her shoulder, and eventually, um, 
Poison Ivy would regrow and she'd become her own person again. And maybe she'd get a new design where her body is, like, composed of, like, rose petals and stuff. That would look kind of cute, kind of pretty. I don't know. I don't know why it's like cute, pretty. It would look nice, okay? Um, the Poison Ivy would, would become her own character again. And maybe she leaves Harley with, like, a little bit of powers. Like, she has, like, a, like a couple of, like, I don't know, vines on her hand. I don't know. She leaves Harley with something. I don't want Harley to be powerless again. Um, you know, if anything, maybe she just, I don't know, has a, has a gun made of plants. But, uh, Poison Ivy would detach from Harley Quinn, and you could sort of do an event around this where, like, Ivy comes back and she's even stronger, and, again, her sort of position is nebulous. We don't know if she's going to be good or evil. You could do a couple of tie-in books to stuff like uh, Batman and Wonder Woman. Like, you could do some tie-ins showing that, like, Poison Ivy's return maybe, like, messes up, like, the, the environment, like, the plant life of Earth, and you get plant monsters here and there, and some plant-based villains come back. Um, but yeah, Poison Ivy would, would return, and it would kind of be like, who sh whose side is she on? And the sort of ending to that story arc would be Poison Ivy being a member of the Justice League, but being sort of their um, last resort, you know? Like, I like the idea that the team would eventually turn into, like, Steel and Cyborg kind of being in the back row, um, doing all this tech stuff, like, using their tech, like, their science tech powers to evacuate cities and, like, mess with traffic lights so that people can get further away from, uh, like, civilian danger. Um, you have the Trinity in the front line, you have Beast Boy and Raven in the front line, and then you have Star Starfire in the front line, and then you have Harley and Poison Ivy sort of back at the base, and it's like, when the Justice League decides that they need that extra power, they call in Poison Ivy, and, like, again, it's like, <sighs> Poison Ivy would go through this arc of deciding human life was worth saving because she loves Harley Quinn and clearly the Justice League is trying to help her. But again, it, it would give her and Harley interesting arcs on this group because Poison Ivy would probably feel like, oh, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, they're, they're really watching me and they only need me when they decide that the, the situation is getting too tough. Um, I don't know if I can trust them. And then from Harley's perspective, it's like, I don't even know if I'm like if they're keeping me on the Just League because they think I'm still useful, or if they keep me around just to calm Poison Ivy down. And if that's the only reason I'm here, I'm, I'm not very happy about it. Um, and then the rest of the team is on edge, because again, it's, it's Harley and Ivy, and we don't know if they're going to cross the line. Up until now, they've, they've trusted Harley, but with Poison Ivy being her own character and being on the team, it's a bit more nebulous. Um, granted, the the... The Justice League could stop Poison Ivy, but the goal is to make her a superhero like them. Um, but that's my Justice League book. A lot of it is, like, based on not so much the adventures they go on, but it's based on character relationships and interactions. And, again, the goal of not so much, like, helping these, helping these sidekicks become heroes, but it's more like helping these characters become the best versions of who they can be. You know, 
Harley, Raven, Beast Boy, and Steel, you know, mainly, helping them sort of jump up a class and, and be superheroes. Not superheroes akin to the Justice League, but the goal is to make them better than the Justice League. So, that's Justice League by Tom Taylor. Next book here um, is sort of the companion. Like, it's funny how synonymous this team is now with DC, but Justice League Dark is going to be the next uh, book we're going to talk about here. Um, it's written by Daniel Warren Johnson, who wrote Wonder Woman uh, Dead Earth, which is a really good black label book. It's a post-apocalyptic DC universe, but only Wonder Woman survived, um, which is really cool. <sighs> and, uh, yeah, Just Like Dark, I'm turning into sort of like almost a Hellboyish kind of book, almost like a explore explorative book into DC's, like, magical underworld. Um, the initial arc would be pretty straightforward. Um, I'm thinking either, because there's a lot of DC demon characters, so I'm thinking either Neron, who's sort of this demon god of corruption, who kind of looks like a sleazy businessman, um, or Trigon, who's, again, another well-known DC demonic character. Maybe they team up, but I like the idea of these... I like the idea of we're finally doing the story where the actual real hell is going to invade Earth, and the only thing standing between hell and the rest of the world is the Just League Dark. Um, the other the other sort of factor to this is that um, the, the book would open with Dr. Fate, the old guy, Kent Nelson, um, basically, like, having, like, a heart attack. Because the idea with Dr. Fate is that it's this guy who got the Helmet of Fate, and the Helmet of Fate is... How do I explain this in ways that people can understand? Um, so, imagine the Helmet of Fate is, like, the Venom symbiote, but the Helmet of Fate wants to do the job of Doctor Strange, right? So imagine if Doctor Strange was a helmet that you put on, he possesses your body. Now imagine the guy that he's been possessing has been Dr. Fate, like his, um, his vessel, since like the 1930s. So, that said, Kent Nelson is very old. Um, and the book would kind of open with him having this grand battle with all these demons and, and like um, chaotic forces from like other dimensions. And you'd see Dr. Fate go home you know, sit in, like, his study, take off the helmet, put it on, like, a, a, a love seat or whatever, or on, like, a table, and then Kent Nelson just flat-out dies right there. Like, just, he's old, it's his last run, he's not gonna, he's not gonna die fighting, he's gonna die comfortably. And Kent Nelson did have an apprentice, he had this, uh, Egyptian-American boy, uh, who did have his own book for a while, and this kid would be training to become the new Doctor Fate. And the idea would be other magical characters associated to Dr. Fate, so like Madame Xanadu or something, would continue this kid's training. So he will become the new Dr. Fate. He just needs more time, more training. Um, maybe the backup stories to Justice League Dark are Xanadu and this new Dr. Fate going on like training missions and exploring the, the DC like magical multiverse. And you know maybe studying un under other obscure characters like, uh, Ragman, <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe they visit Shazam a little bit, but, like, that would be Dr. Fate's stuff in the back of the book. The main thing about Justice League Dark is that with the, the original Dr. Fate, like, dead and gone, 
Justice League Dark would be a team that acts in the place of Doctor Fate, um, sort of like a, a fate core, you know, um, and their thing would be like, okay, we we hang out in the House of Mystery, which is just DC's Sanctum Sanctorum, kind of. Um, we hang out here, and when there's you know a paranormal problem that needs to be fixed, the the team will go and do that. It's kind of like the whole team together equals half of what Doctor Fate is, like. They are a team of underdogs, but they know what they're doing, and they have to address these problems. And one of the overarching problems for the first arc is, you know, Trigon and Neron are in hell, and they're like, oh, look, Dr. Fate's dead. Let's go attack Earth. Now now that he's out of the way, now that the biggest magical threat is, like, you know, not in our way, let's go. Let's go have fun up there, you know? (laughs) And maybe Spectre shows up to help sometimes, but not all the time, because Spectre's another overpowered magical character. But, um... The team here, the sort of defenders against the darkness, um, a lot of them are just members from the last Just League Dark team with a few additions. Um, Zatanna, who would be sort of your leader, your main character, um, she deserves a lot more than she gets most of the time, um, but she's great. Uh, Detective Chimp, who, okay, let me go back a minute. Zatanna is a, a sorceress. She does her magic by saying things backwards. Uh, she's a, a fun, young female character with a lot of potential. Uh, again, deserves more than she gets. Detective Chimp uh, is a chimpanzee in, like, a, a jacket and a hat. And he's one of the world's greatest detectives. He can talk. He's, he's like, as intelligent, if not more intelligent, than the average human. Um, he also has a sword that he got from another character called Nightmaster. Um, he's just a lot of fun. He's also an alcoholic. Detective Chimp is just a really fun character. He's kind of like the team's rocket raccoon, to compare him to anyone. Um, Man Bat, who we know is, you know, a Batman character. He's the team's scientist. He kind of brings a more scientific viewpoint to this team of paranormal characters. Um, and of course, he is literally a Man Bat. So he's strong, he can fly. Um, he's our obligatory Batman character, because every team needs one. (laughs) Um, you have Swamp Thing, who's the representative for all plant life on Earth. I imagine while the Just League Dark is handling these big paranormal problems, over the course of the book, Swamp Thing's appearance would sort of change. Um, he would go from being like a green swamp monster to having a bit more flourishes of red in his design, in reference to what's going on with Poison Ivy in, uh, the Harley and Ivy book and the Justice League book, um... Maybe even sometimes Swamp Thing has to disappear from the team to go see what's happening with Poison Ivy, because the two of them are connected through plant life. Um, but he's one of the heavies on the team. He's probably one of the stronger... He's probably the strongest member of this team, which would make it more sort of, like, good for storytelling if he sometimes disappears and the team's like, shit, he's our strongest guy, where did he go? <laughs> um, Dead Man, who is a ghost, I think most of the team could probably see him because they're all paranormal in some way. Or maybe Zatanna has a spell that makes it so people in the team can see him. But, like, a normal person can't see Dead Man. Like, Batman can't be, can't see Dead Man. He's a ghost. Um, he can possess people. He can fly and float through solid objects. Um, so, aside from, like, possessing people, I think he could be, he could be useful as, like, a scout kind of character. Um, and, again, you can make up some bullshit things. Zatanna's like, okay, my enchantment makes it so everyone can see Dead Man. 
um, and, and hear him. That's important, too. You can't hear him unless Dead Man possesses somebody and talks through them. Um, plus, I, I like Dead Man. He's a cool character. Um, he's also kind of like the comedy relief. And then the final member is Jason Blood slash Etrigan. Jason Blood is this... Um, he was a uh, medieval knight. Um, he ended up betraying uh, Merlin, and so Merlin bonded Jason Blood's soul to this demon named Etrigan. And so now, Jason Blood is sort of... He's kind of like, like the Hulk, but also John Constantine. Because... Uh, you know, as Jason Blood, he is, he's a, he's a, a sorcerer of some sort, um, he's also a mortal, he's been around for a very long time, um, so in that aspect, he's, he's, you know, almost like a, another intelligent character on this team, who knows what he's talking about, who is probably older than, other than Swamp Thing, he's probably the oldest character on this book, on this book, um, and then of course, the other, other thing to Jason Blood is that he can turn into Etric and the Demon, who's a super strong, fire-breathing, magic-using demon. I love Etrigan. He also talks in rhymes. Um, so I love Etrigan as a character. He's a lot of fun. And uh, again, he would be another heavy on this team. But the cost is that, like... The cost is that with Jason Blood, you get this intelligent, you know, helpful detective kind of character who knows a lot about magic and history. Um, but he's not very good in a fight. Etrigan is amazing in a fight. He's got all these powers. He's super strong. Etrigan could probably, if he had enough time, he could probably kill Superman because <laughs> he's magic. Um, Etrigan is like a really strong, prolific character that, again, like a Zatanna, Etrigan hasn't really gotten his due. Um, but he's like a really strong, powerful character in a fight. But like, he's also kind of an asshole. Like, Etrigan will probably betray members of the team. He's not. Uh, helpful in that aspect. So, a lot of it is trading off. A lot of it is, like, Zatanna forcing Etrigan to change back. Um, again, he's sort of their last resort, like, trump card kind of character. Like, oh man, we're losing this fight. We have no choice. You have to turn to Etrigan. He's kind of like, a, again, a ma like a magical Hulk character. Um, so yeah, that would be the roster. And again, their whole mission statement is we're doing Dr. Fate's job. We're stopping hell from invading. We're, you know, battling cosmic demons that come from other dimensions. Um, and while we're doing that, we're just hoping to God that the new Dr. Fate can, you know, learn fast and, and pick up where the last one left off. I think that'd be a cool mission statement for Justice League Dark. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> Okay, next book, Teen Titans. This is a, this is another big one. This is a lot of like big seller for DC Comics Equal Force. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that's the name of this initiative. Um, I love Teen Titans. Obviously, you know a lot of my fandom for DC Comics is founded on Teen Titans, and I just wanted to have a, a good book. A lot of Teen Titans runs as of late have been, you know, fine at best. You know. In the last run, Damian Wayne put a bunch of criminals under his base, so, like, a little scary there. Um, but I think Teen Titans needs to be a book that represents all people of youth, and it needs to be a flagship, because, again, a lot of people that don't read DC Comics like the Teen Titans, because they had that cartoon, 
Um, because they had that other cartoon. <laughs> Some of them like it because of that live-action show I don't agree with. Young Justice was a lot of a, a lot of Teen Titans stuff. So, you know, the Teen Titans needs to be big, and, and the book needs to be important to DC. It needs to be a book that they take stock in, um, which is something they, that they rarely do. So, Teen Titans, uh, it's going to be written by G. Willow Wilson, right? They had her writing Wonder Woman for a while. I didn't hear much about that book. Um, G. Willow Wilson used to write from Marvel, she created Miss Marvel. She created Kamala Khan, another big breakout character that has been in cartoons. She's going to be in the MCU. She's a widely celebrated character. She's in the video game. So, G. Willow Wilson made this character, and she made this character kind of based on her own life experiences. Um, so the fact that DC had, had gotten her to do Wonder Woman and sort of kept her in the loop, um, it should have worked really well, but it Again, I didn't see a lot of results. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about that book. So, put G. Willow Wilson on the Teen Titans. Because, again, this is a group... My roster for Teen Titans has a lot of different voices. A lot of voices from sort of different um, backgrounds. And I think I think uh, Wilson could handle it. And I think she could do... She could write young characters very well, because she had with Miss Marvel... Um, yeah, give the book to her, put a fun artist on the book, um, in terms of the roster, right, <laughs> the leader of this Teen Titans is Static Shock, he is a character that sells really well, he had that awesome cartoon that people have a lot of nostalgia for, Static is a character that DC keeps trying to bring back and, and re, reinvigorize, you know, he had a New 52 book, um, using the Young Justice cartoon, Static Shock, um, along with all the other Milestone characters, is getting a, a bit of a relaunch at DC. I didn't do any other Milestone characters for this uh, this like thought experiment, um, because a lot of them are kind of in the air. They're already doing stuff with Milestone characters. Static is the only one where I'm like, no, you need to use him in the DC Universe. You need to have him interact with the Justice League and the Teen Titans, and you need him to be a vocal point. You know, he's going to be the leader of the team. He's going to be on the front of the cover. <clears throat> he's going to be the one that when people walk into a comic book store and they're like, all right, new Teen Titans book. Oh, shoot, Static's on this team. That's so cool. Like, he's like the voice of the team. Um, and Static, that's the other thing too. The other point of this this team is that I didn't, I wanted, I wanted this Teen Titans team to sort of represent imprints or, um, comic book publishers that DC has absorbed and created over the years. So, Static is there as the milestone imprint representative of the team. You know, not in a literal way, but in a, you know, uh, sentimental way. So, Static Shock's on the team. He's the leader. He's going to make the big bucks. Um, and then, next is Blue Beetle, the Jaime Reyes version, the third version. The one that has sort of the mechanical alien suit. Jaime Reyes is a character that, again, DC's tried to bush. Like, with every relaunch, Blue Beetle has got another book. He's a strong, like, young character who's made various appearances in cartoons. Um, he was in one of the video games, I think. I think he was in Injustice, too. Um, but he's an awesome character, and I think DC knows that, and they want to push him, but 
for whatever reason, he never picks up as much traction as other characters. So, Jaime Reyes is going to be on this team. He's going to have his alien suit. He's kind of the tech guy because he has the alien suit. Um, I imagine for story arcs, you could do stuff where it's like... Because the alien suit comes from like an evil race of aliens called the Reach. So you can do a overarching Reach storyline. You can even do a thing where the entire team gets a like a Blue Beetle suit for like a couple issues. Um... And they all come in different colors, so they look like a Power Ranger team. That would be fucking cool. Um, maybe we'll talk about that more later, because I, I want to expand on that. Um, yeah, Blue Beetle's on this team, and Jaime, he's the third Blue Beetle. The very first Blue Beetle was a character from Charlatan Comics. Or Charlton Comics, sorry. Charlton Comics was absorbed by DC, they you know they bought them out. So he's their, Char their Charlatan Comics um, representative. Next is Caitlin Fairchild. Or just Fairchild for short. She is this redheaded uh, teenage girl who's, I think, the daughter of a superpowered person. Like, her parents were like military super soldiers. And ugh, she was part of a team called Gen 13. And Gen 13 was basically that premise it was a team of superpowered mercenaries, all retired and had kids, and their kids had superpowers and they became a team. Right? And Caitlin Fairchild was sort of the leader and main character of Gen 13. She was the most interesting character. Her power is very straightforward. She's kind of an, like a sort of a She Hulk kind of character. Caitlin Fairchild can, at will, um, she's, you know, <laughs> normally she's an average build teenage girl. But when she activates her powers, um, she gets really tall, really buff, and she is amazing super strength. She's been able to compete with Supergirl and the like. Um, so she's sort of the muscle of the team, but she's also an intelligent, like, she's also very intelligent, basically. And, excuse me, again, her voice on the team is one of like, you know, I've been on superhero teams before, I've, I've worked for superhero governments and stuff, uh, you know, I know a lot of things. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, she's just, she's, she's a cool character. Again, I would hope that under Will, G. Willow Wilson's writing, Fairchild would come off as a very intelligent, modern kind of character. And the thing they liked to do with her back in the 90s um, and early 2000s, Caitlin Fairchild, they liked to do this thing where, and a lot of, a lot of comics do this, like, she activates her powers, she gets really buff, and her clothes kind of rip. And I would try to stray away from that. Because um, it is kind of funny, but it's also like, yeah, she's a teenage girl, and it's a different time. Let's not over-sexualize her. But, um, again, yeah, she's like the teen powerhouse, and she has a very, like... Her voice is one that should be heard in the room, basically. Um, she was a character created by Jim Lee when he had his own imprint called Wildstorm. So she is a Wildstorm representative on the team. Uh, Offspring. So this is a weird one. Offspring is a character... Offspring is the son of Plastic Man, right? And I love Plastic Man. I didn't give him a book. I don't even think he has a miniseries here. No, he doesn't. Um, but I love Plastic Man, right? And Plastic Man first appeared in Quality Comics. So Offspring kind of represents quality. But... After the New 52 and stuff, uh, after DC Rebirth, actually, the, what is it, 
DC has another series, like, they had, they had an imprint called the Dark Matter Comics, and one of the Dark Matter Comics was sort of a Plastic Man team book called uh, The Terrifics, and in that book, um, Offspring made a reappearance. Like, he had sort of fell off of comic books for a very long time, but in The Terrifics, you had an arc where Plastic Man reunited with his son, Offspring. An offspring is similar to Plastic Man. Um, he has elas elasticity powers. He's not as powerful as Plastic Man. He can't, like, turn into a shark and a buzzsaw and a shovel or whatever. Like, he can't shapeshift that hard. Um, I think he can disguise his appearance by turning himself into other people. Um, and he also has this rubber body, so he can stretch to a very short degree. Like, he could probably reach across a room, but he can't reach across, like, a city. <laughs> Um, and is a, he has a, a rubber body, so a lot of attacks will bounce off of him. He can bounce off of solid surfaces, like, um, like a bouncy ball, you know? Um, and again, he's sort of the comic relief of the team. He represents both quality comics and dark matter comics. Um, again, his father is Plastic Man, so he'll be the humor, but I think he'll also be sort of a cynic, you know? He's one of the only characters in the book whose, like, father actively abandoned him, and then came back. So, he'll have some some uh, some background in this book. So that's Offspring. And then the final member of the team is called uh, Amethyst. And Amethyst is... Okay, let me see. How do I do this? Amethyst was originally a DC Comics character who was this normal teenage girl who discovered that her birth parents were actually the king and queen of another dimension. And she goes to this dimension, and it's called Gemworld. And she basically learns swords and sorcery stuff. Um, you know, she gets a sword and a shield. She gets a, <laughs> she gets a pegasus, I think. And uh, she learns gem magic, which is just sorcery involving gemstones. And she becomes a, like, princess warrior there. She's kind of a, a She-Ra kind of character. And, again, she's a character of two worlds. She represents gem world. She represents mankind. And she has this amazing, fantastical adventure in Gemworld. Um, and she pops up now and again in, like, Justly Dark books and stuff. Um, her, most, her most recent appearance was in uh, a Young Justice book that Bendis was writing. And basically, when Bendis was writing Young Justice, it was under a new imprint that DC created called Wonder Comics. So... Amethyst is going to be on this team. She's going to represent Wonder Comics, but also be a DC Comics representative. Um, and Amethyst sort of joins this team as a weird outsider kind of character. Because she, in this story anyway, the idea is that she's still a teenager, but when she left Earth, um, it was like the 1990s. And when she came back to Earth from Gemworld, time had moved differently. So now it's like 2021, and... She's still a teenager, and the world has changed around her. So along with being on the Teen Titans as kind of their magical character, because now she knows gem magic, I imagine it's a lot of, like, what Diamond Head from Ben 10 could do, but with magic. Um, you know, she's got the sword and the shield. She has, a, she has a pegasus, so, like, this team needs to have, like, a stable in their home base. Um, maybe she summons the pegasus from Gem World. Um, but she's, like, this really powerful magical character who I think would bounce off the rest of the team really well because she's a character out of time, you know? She's not... She's a teenager like them, but 
time had moved differently. And so she's sort of an old school teenager while these characters are more modern teenagers. Um, yeah, she represents Wonder Comics. Uh, I think that's all I really talk about with her. And then I think way later, like maybe issue 40 or something, you would add one more character to this roster and it would be Damian Wayne Robin. And I would do it, you know, after he'd have a story arc in Detective Comics, after he would have sort of his own miniseries, I want Damien to sort of go back to a point that he was at. Like, it's it's so rough with Damien Wayne, man. When he first showed up in, like, 2008, people hated him because he was a jackass. And then over the years, Damien got better as a character. Um, he had his own Teen Titans team. He had a book with his father, Batman. He had his own solo book. And he also had a book with Superman's son, John Kent. And in that development through DC Rebirth, Damian Wayne became a more like sympathetic character, right? Damian Wayne also died and came back to life, so there's that. Um, but at this point, in this Teen Titans book, around issue 40, the team would sort of run into Damian while he's doing his own thing. And the team would be like, oh, hey, you're Robin, and we're the Teen Titans. Do you want to be on the team? And, you know, this would be another thing where it's like, Robin, at this point, Damian Wayne, he 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 wouldn't jump to the chance. And it's not because he doesn't get to be the leader or whatever, but it's because, at this point, Damian's grown into a person who's like, I don't think I deserve to be on a super team. You know, I've messed up every chance I've been given when I'm around people my own age. Like, I don't know if I deserve to be a normal kid. And I like the idea of the rest of the Teen Titans being like, no, dude, like, you're Robin. Like, not only does this traditionally work, but, like, people look to you as the kid superhero. When people think of teenage superheroes, they think of Robin. Like, most of us, like, Static could be like, I was inspired by the third Robin. And, uh, I don't know, Offspring could be like, I was always a fan of the first one, you know? Like, even Amethyst, who's from, like, the 90s, like, I remember the first one. I remember the first Robin. Um, and so, instead of it being sort of like he forces himself on the team or whatever, the Teen Titans themselves would be like, Damien, like, <laughs> not only is it within your right to be on our team, but, like, you deserve that for yourself. Like, you deserve to be on a team with people your own age who can kind of lift you up and correct you when you're wrong. Like, the Teen Titans would not be, like, a support group for Damian Wayne. They would just offer Damian Wayne the chance to be a normal kid and, and be in a positive environment. Because all he's ever been is, like, Damian Wayne is, you know, he's sympathetic, but he's also kind of a stick in the mud. So, I like the idea of putting him on this Teen Titans team eventually, and almost having him be kind of like the Green Ranger to their original Power Rangers. Like, I used to be a bad guy. I don't know if I can fit in with you guys, but thank you for making me feel like I, I can be invited onto here. And eventually, you can have Static be like, Damien, why don't you call the shots on this mission? Because I know you have it in you. Like, stuff like that. I think, I think that would be really helpful to Damien's character, and pushing it out that far ahead would help Teen Titans not just be another Batman book. And when Robin does show up, he's a factor in the book, but he isn't the main character. Um, in terms of, like, the driving force of the book, I really like the idea of the Teen Titans sort of going back to basics. 
Um, basically, when the Teen Titans first showed up in DC Comics in, like, the 60s, the way it worked was they had this home base, which was, like, a log cabin, and they would get phone calls from children who needed their help. Like, they were sort of, like, like a, a, a call-in, like, hotline-for-help kind of team. The Teen Titans would go places where, where teenagers or children were being um, subjugated, and they would help them. And so I think it would be... And that's kind of what the Champions did when they first showed up, too. They would get tweets or emails or, or just messages from you know, young people that needed help, and they would go and help them. And I think that's what the Teen Titans kind of need. I also like the idea, because all these characters live very far apart from each other. Um, I think Jaime Reyes lives in, like, New Mexico. Um, Static Shock lives in uh, Dakota. I don't know where Offspring lives. I don't know where Fairchild lives. Amethyst, probably, you know, back and forth between the human world and gem world. But I like that this team doesn't really have a home base. Like, maybe they have, like, a... Maybe they have, like, a little home base, like a, like a ship or something. I don't know. Um, oh, you know what? Maybe Jaime Reyes has, like, a spare beetle craft that Ted Cord gave him. You know, and they kind of hang out in that sometimes. But I like the idea that these characters aren't always hanging out. They have their home lives. And maybe, I don't know, once a week or every other day, um, through flying or teleporting or whatever... Because, I mean, Amethyst can open, like, you know, portals to Gem World, so maybe she can teleport people. In fact, Gem World could be, like, maybe their home base as well. I don't know. But I like the idea that this team isn't always hanging out, but they make it a point every day or every two days to meet up. And, you know, when they're when there's nothing to do, they're just hanging out. They're just like, hey, let's go to the arcade, let's get a pizza, let's go watch a movie... And again, that would help to bring the team together. It also help when they bring Damian Wayne in because he's like not used to that stuff, like just hanging out. Um, but again, like Static would look at his phone and be like, "Oh hey, this kid tweeted at me. Uh, he's from like New York, and there's some gang violence going on, and and he needs help." Or Jaime Reyes gets you know he sees a news story of like you know this, like, runaway kid who stole a bunch of, like, you know, guns or something. Like, you kind of make it a bit a bit more of a real-world thing. So every issue, when the Teen Titans are called to help people, you know, when there's trouble, you know who to, who to call. Um, that could be the opening thing. When there's trouble, you know who to call Teen Titans. Um, you get a bit, like, like, not every issue is them punching something. Sometimes they just go somewhere and talk to kids that need their help, you know? Um... And you could bring in some really cool villains. I think it would be cool if they brought in villains from the original show, from 2003. Um, like, Control Freak is an awesome villain. He's basically, like, a neck-bearded superfan who has, like, a reality-controlling remote control. So you can do a lot of cool stories with him being like, Oh, I remember the Teen Titans. I, I used to, like, watch TV and read stories about them all the time when I was a kid, and now I'm 45 and everything's different. Like, he could be sort of like a like a tongue-in-cheek character, you know? He shows up and he's like, you guys aren't the Teen Titans. I remember the Teen Titans and they look like this. And he presses a button and it's like, you know, the the 2003 anime Teen Titans or the original 60s Teen Titans or uh, the 80s Teen Titans. Like, he just creates these, these like, apparitions, like, solid light constructs of old Teen Titans characters. 
or you have another issue where he's like, you guys think you're so tough. Well, why don't you fight versions of yourself that you're too embarrassed to talk about? And he presses a button and it's like, oh no, this isn't Jaime Reyes. This is like if Jaime Reyes was completely possessed by uh, the Scarab and he's like an evil robot beetle man. Um, and oh no, it's a version of Static who's like a black exploitation Afro-having character that like didn't exist, but oh man, he could have. Like, almost like parodies of the Teen Titans, like fighting the, the, themselves. Um, and another villain, this is the only other villain I really thought about that would be cool to include in this, um, Clarion the Witch Boy. Clarion the Witch Boy is a magical um, sort of demon child who has uh, like a familiar, which is a little cat, but then he uses his powers and the cat becomes like a huge demonic tiger. Um, he could be really cool for them to fight against. Um, I like the idea that he really doesn't like the Teen Titans because, you know, like him, they're, they're youthful characters, but where Clarion the Witch Boy kind of plays on the immaturity and chaotic, like, outbursting nature of children, the Teen Titans represent sort of the growing maturity and sort of, uh, self-awareness of teenagers. Like, they're they're everything that Clarion isn't, and so he hates them for that, you know? And maybe it's not as as straightforward as, I'm going to summon my cat to attack you guys, or I'm going to summon giant monsters to attack you guys. It's more like Clarion is like, oh, I see that these kids are... Like, he's kind of like Rita Repulsa in that aspect, and we're making more Power Rangers comparisons. Clarion's looking at his magic globe, and he's like, oh, I see the Teen Titans are helping uh, this bake sale, you know... I see that there's a gang of kids that are trying to upset this this bake this what do I call it bake sale, and the Teen Titans have been called to, to help you know keep the gang away. Well, what if I, Clarion the Witch Boy, gave these gang members powers? Now let's see them you know try and be goody goodies. Like that could be a lot of fun. That could be a fun book to to follow. Um, but yeah, that's my Teen Titans. That's the one I'm like really like interested in because I think the team is really fun. I think the stories you could tell with that are really fun, and that's what Teen Titans needs to be. It doesn't. It doesn't need to be super serious. It doesn't need to be based off any shows or anything. It just needs to be fun with characters that have different perspectives and different voices, and can hang out and be kids and help other kids. I think that's very important for a Teen Titans book. Okay, last book, and this is another one that I'm very invested in. I thought about this one a lot. Um, <coughs> It's a new Suicide Squad book. It's a new Suicide Squad ongoing book written by Colin Bunn. Colin Bunn is a great writer. Uh, he knows how to write villainous characters really well. He did a really cool uh, Sinestro book a while back. That's like the most recent thing I can remember from him. Um, but yeah, man, he knows villains. I think he did um, I think he did a Doctor Doom book for a while, too. But uh, yeah, I love Colin Bunn as a writer. And... He would be cool in a Suicide Squad book, not because he he would write it as like an action movie, but I think he, I think Colin Bunn could write a Suicide Squad book as a really good sort of thriller suspense movie, right? And the opening title for this is Lady in Black, right? And here's here's the whole pitch: Amanda Waller, who is in charge of the Suicide Squad, in charge of Task Force X, she's the one that puts the squad together, puts bombs in their heads. She's the mastermind behind all of it. And she thinks that by doing what she's doing, she's saving the world. 
That's what makes her a great villain. She thinks she's doing the right thing, when actually she's a morally bankrupt, like, monster, right? <laughs> to further her next Suicide Squad plan, to improve on the idea of the Suicide Squad, Amanda Waller captures, um, tortures, and eventually gets the powers of the Black Hand. And the Black Hand is a Green Lantern villain. He's a, he's a Green Lantern villain who has a black power ring. And his whole deal is he can bring back and manipulate the dead. They did a whole story called Blackest Night, where every dead character in the DC Universe got a Black Lantern ring and came back as like a zombie. But for this, the idea is that Amanda Waller would find out about the Black Lantern ring she would get it, and she would use its power to revive, you know, dead villains and heroes, and that's her Suicide Squad. And it's not like they get their own rings or anything. It's more like she's bringing them back as, like, half zombies. Like, their bodies are corpses, but they have the minds that they had when they died, right? And it's very macabre, and it's very dark, and it's very messed up, but it's also, like, that's something Amanda Waller would do, right? And, like... The actual roster is kind of, like, not important. The roster would change almost every other issue. But a couple of notable names that I put on here um, that, you know, people would probably recognize and would be cool to see in the book. Um, Deadshot, because he most recently died in the most recent Suicide Squad book. Um, Bane, I think, is also dead, but I think they brought him back. <laughs> I don't know, you could kill him off again. It doesn't matter. Some of these you don't need, but they're just, like, suggestions. But, like, you definitely need Deadshot. He would look cool as, like, a, a Black Lantern zombie. Bane. Um, Cavalier, who's, like, a swordsman type of character. Uh, Ragdoll, who can uh, sort of manipulate his body in any way. Like, almost like he's made out of, like, Silly Putty or whatever. Um, let's see. Lady Blackhawk, um, who's, like, a cyborg woman from the Blackhawks, which is, like, a 1940s... Air Force team, uh, Plastique, who's a female explosive expert, Negative Woman, who can project her soul outside of her body, um, Spy Smasher, who is, you know, an old, kind of like 1940s spy smasher, she smashes spies, um, but some of the bigger ones, and, and these are kind of like big to talk about, Roy Harper, who, again, maybe they're bringing him back, I don't know. But Roy Harper, who used to be Speedy, who used to be Red Arrow, who used to be Arsenal, uh, he's on this team. He's undead. And, like, Waller's like, I bet, I really hope Green Arrow doesn't find out, because he's going to be a pain in my ass if he, if he finds out I brought his sidekick back as a zombie with a bow and arrow. <laughs> um, so Roy Harper is on this. Uh, Dan Garrett, who I mentioned before, is the original Blue Beetle. He doesn't have any powers because it's just his body brought back to life, but, um... He would just be kind of a soldier type of character. He's also an archaeologist, so he might be, like, the brains of the team. Um, and then the other two big ones are Sergeant Rock, who is a 1930s um, sergeant. Like, like he's, like, a DC, like, war story character, right? You bring him back, and you bring back Jonah Hex, who's a DC's, like, western character. He kind of looks like a cowboy two-face. You bring him back. So... Really, one of the appeals to this book is, again, the team's always changing. We're rotating through a cast of DC's deceased characters. 
but we also get to use characters who are, have been long since dead, like Jonah Hex, like Sergeant Rock, like these old relic characters that you don't see that often in DC anymore. Um, you bring them back as zombies, and you have them on the Suicide Squad. And the other idea here is that most of these characters aren't super-powered, right? And the reason ties back to Amanda Waller, because really, while the team is always changing and their missions are like zombie soldiers storming, like, you know, the beaches of Normandy or whatever, they break into other countries to rescue world leaders and stuff, while the team itself is mostly made out of, like, human unpowered characters, the reason is that Amanda Waller isn't that good with the Black Power Ring yet. The idea is that Amanda Waller has the Black Ring, she can raise the dead back to life and manipulate them, and her whole thing is like, if you don't work for me, I'll just make you die again. Or I'll make you relive the pain of dying, but I'll keep your corpse alive. Like, I can not only manipulate you on like a vocal mind level, but I literally control your will with this ring, you know? And like, <sighs> maybe she wears like a special glove or she hides her arm, but it would be cool if over the course of the book you see that the ring is putting black veins into her body, almost like the ring is killing her too. And she's afraid that if she brings back more powerful villains over time, the ring will... She, she'll lose control. Like, she has to bring back human, low-level characters with not a lot of powers. Because it's easier for her. Like, if she brings back, I don't know, King Shark as, like, a zombie monster, he's so strong and so different from a human that she wouldn't be able to, to handle him. And you can have this, like, fun... Hannibal Lecter thing where in her like private study or whatever um Amanda Waller has the original guy black hand in like you know behind a glass wall or whatever and over the course of the book he's like oh you're losing control aren't you it's a bit hard to control all these operatives especially the ones that have powers you know if you just let me out I can help you really learn how to use the black lantern ring and she has to sort of resist the urge to ask for his help um also, just to make it more messed up, it's like, eventually you'd have to do a story where the Justice League finds out she's doing this and, like, goes after her, and Amanda Waller's whole fortress is just lined with, un like, undead zombie people. Some of them are superpowered heroes and villains, and other ones are just, like, generic soldiers that have died in, like, superhero battles, like, agents of Checkmate and Argus and, you know, dead soldiers that she brought back, and it would sort of become this thing of, like, Amanda, you're not using... <laughs> you're not, like, recycling good people and bad people to defend the country anymore. You're, like, defiling, like, soldiers who have died in battle. You're you're raising the dead, and it's, it's selfish and disrespectful of you. And you go deeper and deeper into the story, and you find out that Amanda Waller, like, brought her dead family back to life, and has, like, put them in, like, a little suburban house. And the only reason... Amanda's been able to keep her sanity in check is because every other day she goes home to have dinner with her undead family and she thinks that that's okay. Like, like Suicide Squad, I want to turn it into this psychological thriller that really centers on this person who's like, I've, I've been the result of so many people dying. Like, good people, bad people, doesn't matter. A lot of people's death, deaths are my, on my hands. And so... You know, what better could I do for them to make their death mean something? 
and use them in this continuous war against, like, evil. Like, I am recycling the souls of heroes and villains. And in her mind, she's doing it for the right reasons. But from an outsider's perspective, it's like, you're, <laughs> you're using the dead, and that's messed up, and you think it's okay. Um, but that's my Suicide Squad, like, pitch. And I'm, again, I'm really into that idea. Again, doesn't matter who the team is, doesn't matter who lives or dies, because the book is about Amanda Waller, like, <laughs> oh, Deadshot's dead again? I'll just bring him back to life. Oh, he died a second time? I'll just bring him back to life. Whatever. He remembers every time? I don't care. Like, it's a fucked up book, but, like, it's a pitch that I really want to see. I think that would be a really cool direction for the Suicide Squad. I know it ruins the point of the Suicide Squad, but you sort of replace that with this story of Amanda Waller having this slow decline in morality. And by the end of it, maybe she does give the ring back to Black Hand or, you know, and he kills her. Or maybe she goes full Black Lantern, kills Black Hand, and becomes a Green Lantern villain. And she starts doing a Suicide Squad with alien villains. Like, that would be a really cool direction around issue, like, 30 or 40 for this book. Like, way later, when the jig is up, the Just League is taken down in her whole operation, she has to leave Earth... She goes full Black Lantern, and she makes a team with, like, deceased alien characters. That would be a really cool direction to, to put her in. Um, yeah, that's my Suicide Squad book. Just real quick, I wanted to cover this before we got to the outro. I know I mentioned this before, but I didn't go fully into it. I like the idea of a Teen Titans story arc where the whole team gets their own scarab, much like Blue Beetle. And you do a Power Rangers joke where they all have different colored scarabs. Um, Static would get... Is it bad to give him a black beetle? I know he's African American, but I really don't think that matters. Because I can't give him a blue one, because Blue Beetle has a blue one. Could give him a yellow one. That's part of his costume. Okay, Static gets a yellow beetle. Blue Beetle has the blue one. Fairchild gets a green beetle, because her costume is usually green. Um, Offspring would get a white beetle because his costume is white, and then Amethyst would get a pink beetle because her whole thing is, she's kind of pink and purple. Uh, so like yellow and pink, blue. Uh, oh, and then Robin would get a red beetle, obviously. So you kind of complete, like, the average, um, yeah, yeah, that's basically all the original Power Ranger colors. So, yeah, there's that. And, and Clarion goes full, uh, Rita Repulsa. There you go. Okay, guys, that's the whole episode, I swear. Um, I hope... A lot of these ideas were cool for you to listen to. I hope, you know, uh, you liked them. <laughs> Let me know on Facebook if there's any of these that you particularly like. Maybe we'll talk about them more in a future episode. Um, next week, we'll start going over the uh, the limited series, like the mini-series, as part of this DC relaunch. Um, again, there's ten of them, so it'll either be... We'll either get them all done, or we'll just do... We'll cut it in half. Probably have to end up cutting them in half, but uh, I'm really excited to keep talking about this experiment. It's just nice to talk about comics again, go over these ideas and sort of come up with them in your, in your head. Um, but yeah, that's today's episode. Again, hope you enjoyed it. I'll catch you guys next week and uh, have a good one. Bye-bye.